I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And we're going to pick up Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 27. Now this is just after the Last Supper, Jesus with His disciples. And it's just a few hours away from His arrest and ultimately what would lead to His crucifixion. And so uh, this is a conversation with Him and His disciples. It says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept insistently saying, Even if I were to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. Now, we're going to skip over verses 31 through 65, but just tell you what happens in those verses. We see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as he looks towards the upcoming crucifixion. We see him betrayed by Judas, uh, and then ultimately his trial before the chief priests, and then they end up sentencing him as one who is worthy of. Of death, but while this is going on, this uh, this interrogation is that we see Peter is outside in the courtyard who has followed him. So pick up with me in verse sixty six. It says, "And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, "You also were with Jesus the Nazarene." But he denied it, saying, "I neither know nor understand what you're talking about." And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him, and again, once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them, but he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that, God, you would fill me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. God, to be able to bring your word, God, today. I pray, Lord, that you would use it today, God, to speak into the hearts of your people. God, I pray that you'd protect us this morning. God, I pray that you'd call us home. God, I pray that you would change lives today. God, you can do that. Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as you can imagine, The focus of our attention today is going to be on the Apostle Peter and his denial of Jesus. Now we've got to take a moment here and describe to you who is the Apostle Peter. Peter is known throughout the New Testament as one of the more passionate and boisterous personalities of the twelve disciples of Jesus. The former fisherman who had left everything to come and follow Jesus was not only one of the twelve disciples, but he was also one of the inner three in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was the one who stepped out, when Jesus was the one who came to the disciples on the boat walking on the water, Peter was the one who said, Lord, bid me to come out on the water with you. When Jesus asked his disciples, said, who do men say that I am? The other disciples said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. But it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, on this profession, I will build my faith. When we see after uh, Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, and the, the, the Holy Spirit is sent upon the disciples, Peter is the first to preach the very first Christian sermon, and we see 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. And we could go on and on talking about the incredible works 
of the Apostle Peter. But at the same time, to talk about the life of the Apostle Peter is that you have to address this story. This heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching story of when Peter, who had adamantly said, Lord Jesus, I will follow you even unto death. That just a few hours later, he is denying Jesus. It is the story of a great man of God who had a great moment of failure. But we need to be remember. We need to remind uh, ourselves that God has given us this story today in Scripture to give us many lessons, to teach us many things. The title of our message this morning is "When God's People Fall," and this message is important to all of us today because the most painful lesson that every follower of Jesus will face is that we will all fail at some point the Jesus whom we love. Now this reality is attributed to the fact that we have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been born again on the inside. Jesus has given you a new heart and new spirit. You begin to desire to do the things that honor God. But at the same time, you still bear a sinful flesh that one day will be redeemed when you get to heaven. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have greater victories over our flesh in this life. But at the same time, it will still be a battle that we wrestle with our entire lives on this earth. There's never a moment on this earth where you're going to no longer struggle with your sinful flesh. And as you walk with Jesus, you will have moments of great great victory in dealing with your flesh. But it will also be marked with moments of defeat. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. He says, For I do, he's talking about he's struggling with his own flesh. He said, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can I get an amen to hear to that this morning? Anybody else ever feel that way? The things that I want to do, oh God, are the things that I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do are often the things that I do. And this marks a picture of the, the struggle inside of believers. You know, the, the Bible says in Galatians that we are flesh and spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. And these two are in opposition to one another. There's a battle that rages within us. And often we fail. Christian failure can look like when you lose your temper in the presence of those in whom you're trying to point to Jesus even though you wish that you would not have. Christian failure can look like you as a wife and you understanding that God has called you to respect your husband, but in the moments where your husband begins to lead, if it's a direction that you don't necessarily want to go, respect kind of goes out the window. Or it can be, men, those moments where you know that God has called you to love and sacrifice and serve your wife, and that sounds great, until you get to the end of a hard week and your wife's got a list of honeydews for you to do and it just seems a whole lot easier to be selfish than it is to be a servant. Or you do it, but you just do it with the wrong attitude. Can I get an amen wives here this morning? Christian failure can look like when you desire to keep your mind and body sexually pure, but then something comes across your TV or your computer screen that is tempting to your eyes and you linger longer than you should. Truly for all of us as Christians, we would agree with what Jesus said in John chapter 8 that says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And at that word, all of us drop our stones, do we not today? My desire to you this morning as your pastor is to walk through this story and hopefully help us see some truths about sin and temptation that can help guard us today from falling into that, but also understand how to be restored to Jesus once you have fallen. 
So if you're keeping notes this morning, our first truth today is this. Our first truth to notice in this text is that when God's people fall, rarely is it something that is preferred. And we see from the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Peter was far from being someone who desired to fall into sin, to dishonor God. As we see when Jesus began to say to his disciples that you will all be scattered away, he said in verse 29, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And as Jesus goes on even to tell him even further, but no, Peter, you will. And before the crow, before the rooster crows twice this day, you will have denied me three times. He insistently says again, but no, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. The main truth that we need to see here in this passage is that Peter was not some flighty follower of Jesus, but rather he was one who had left everything to follow Jesus three years earlier. He was one of the inner circle who followed Jesus. In fact, just a few moments after this moment, as the Jewish leaders come to arrest Jesus, Peter is the one who pulls a sword and goes to, uh, goes to kill one of the men and misses and cuts his ear off. Praise the Lord that Jesus fixed that in that moment. But Peter is far from somebody who doesn't want to follow Jesus and follow him well. But what we see in this passage is that this passionate servant of Jesus is about to do exactly what he swears he would never do. He is soon to fall into sin and temptation and deny Christ. So let me give you a few truths here to know from this passage. First, this passage reminds us that godly people desire not to fall into sin and temptation. Here we see Peter passionately proclaiming that he would never deny Jesus and that he was even willing to die for him. And this should be true for all genuine followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, we should not be a people who are flighty about our, uh, our aspects of discipline and trying to honor the Lord. We should be a people who want to truly honor Jesus in everything that we say and do. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he spoke about the Christian desire to want to honor the Lord. He said this, Therefore we have it as our ambition. That word ambition means goal. This is, your, this is what you look forward to. This is the purpose of your life. The weather at home, meaning living on this earth, or absent, meaning even after I die, to be pleasing to Him. Think about that. The Christian ambition should be to be pleasing to Him. If somebody was to ask you tomorrow, say, what is your ambition in life? It should be that I would be pleasing to my Savior. Now, there are many reasons why Christians, why we should desire to honor the Lord Jesus in everything in our lives, how we should desire to avoid sin and temptation. Let me give you a few of those reasons. First, godly people desire not to fall into sin and temptation because of their love for Jesus, because He's our Savior and we love Him. And in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said to His disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, it was out of Peter's great love for Jesus that he said, I will follow you even unto death. Now, church family, there are moments when our obedience has to be driven out of dedication and not necessarily devotion. There's times when, when my heart leads my obedience. There's times when, man, I love Jesus so much that my obedience just comes right after it. But then there are times when my obedience has to lead my heart. I know that this honors God whether I feel it or not. And that's a good and right thing. But 
we all know that at the basic level, the foundational level in every relationship, that love is the best foundation for ongoing obedience. Church family, I just want to ask you a very simple question today. Do you love Jesus? Now, now, that, now not just kind of rush through that, but let that linger in our souls just for a second. Do you love Jesus? From the outside opinion of those around you, from what, what your family and friends would say, people that you work with, people around you, just from even those who see you at church, do you love Jesus? And that was why one of the main reasons why Peter said, I will follow you, Lord, even unto death. Another reason why godly people desire not to fall into sin and temptation is because of the desire to be loyal to Jesus, out of loyalty to Jesus. In the same way that Peter's devotion to Jesus was likely driven by his love, it was also likely driven by his loyalty. He wanted to be loyal to his master and whom he followed. Again, this is the same truth that should be a reality for all of us who are followers of Jesus. When you come to faith in Christ, you don't just come to faith in Christ to receive forgiveness of your sins, which you do, but in exchange you make Jesus Lord. So Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A great verse for you to memorize this morning, I would say every Christian needs to memorize at some point in their life, is Galatians 2, 20. It says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you hear what that says there? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm, I'm not here anymore. The life I live now, I live for the glory of the Son of God. This is loyalty to the Master in your life. I remember being a teenager when I heard my pastor, Dr. Steve Gaines, preach one Sunday morning, at the conclusion of his story, he told the story, conclusion of his message, he told the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was one of the first uh, uh, Christian early church fathers. He is, his time frame was just after the biblical account, and he was a, a big pastor there in Rome. And one of the rules that Caesar had done to basically bring in all of his subjects all over the Roman Empire was that every Roman citizen was required to light incense every day and say, Caesar is Lord. And anybody who did not is that they would be burned alive at the stake. And so word got out about these Christians, these people who would not say Caesar is Lord. And so they began to research and find out who is the leader. And one of the pastors there in Rome was a man named Polycarp. So they sent an entire Roman garrison to his house of centurions to bring him out and ultimately uh, to burn him at the stake. When they came to his home, they didn't find this religious revolutionary. They found an old, kind, sweet man who invited these soldiers into his home he washed their feet, and he put a meal before them, and he served them. Well, suddenly these soldiers began to be won over by Polycarp, and they began to say to him, hey, just say Caesar is Lord, and we can leave. In fact, you can, they tried to give him ways out. You can even say, I don't mean this, and then say it, and we just won't say that part. But he continually, humbly refused. Finally, their demeanor was changed again towards anger, trying to help somebody that didn't want to help themselves. They took him into custody. They brought him there before Caesar in the court, and they started to tie him to a stake and started to load up bundles of sticks around him. And they gave him the option, if he would just say Caesar is Lord, is that he would receive a quick death, because at this point, death was certain. 
And as they had bundled all the kindling around him, was preparing to light it on the fl- light it a flame for him to be burned alive. He stood up, raised up with his hands tied behind his back, and confidently said, "Jesus is Lord." And then they lit the flames. Loyalty to Jesus is one of the reasons why true followers of Christ want to serve Him. Jesus, you gave so much for me. You're worthy of all my life. Thirdly, godly people desire not to fall into sin and temptation because the leading of the Holy Spirit is the voice of the Holy. When you come to faith in Christ, God gives you His Spirit within you. It's called being born again. And as the Holy Spirit begins to live within you, His voice begins to lead and direct your lives. It's the voice that tells you no when you've done something wrong or the voice that speaks within you saying, no, that's temptation. Get away from that. Run from that. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Every true follower of Jesus hears the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You may not know that's the Holy Spirit, but that's not your conscience. See, there is the common grace of God that lets us know kind of what is right and wrong, but you can sear that as an unbeliever. You can avoid that. You can even let society change that in your mind. But the Holy Spirit of God is consistent in the lives of His people, speaking to you, saying, this is the way. And then finally, we see God's people, they desire not to fall into sin and temptation because they are looking for the day that they will stand before Jesus, their Savior. You know, the Bible speaks about the fact that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, those who are followers of Jesus, when we stand before, there's a Christian judgment. And when we stand before Jesus, it is not going to determine whether or not we go to heaven or hell. That is already sealed in Jesus. But when Christians stand before the judgment seat of Christ, in that moment, it is basically to determine rewards. And it is to give us an opportunity to stand before our Savior and say, this is what I have done with the life that you gave me. This is what I've done for the glory of your name. And on that day, the Bible speaks about how we should desire on the day to stand before him to be blameless and spotless. Meaning that when we stand before Jesus, that our life is not tainted with the efforts and pursuits of our own glory while taking the grace of Christ, but that our life is clean, having purified ourselves to stand before him to say, Jesus, this is my life and it was all given for you. Peter later in his life would say in 2 Peter 3, 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, speaking of the coming of Jesus, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Church family, I genuinely believe that if we lived with a real anticipation of the coming of Jesus, that most problems in the church and most problems in our own relationships with Jesus would be cured. I don't think we'd have an evangelism problem if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning. And I very doubt would have a holiness problem if we knew Jesus was coming back. There's an old hymn that was written in 1878 that's entitled, Are You Washed in the Blood? And the third verse of that hymn says this, When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Walk, will your soul be ready for His presence bright? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? So for these reasons and many more, we see that Peter didn't have, he didn't desire to fall into sin and temptation. He was wanting to honor the Lord Jesus. He said, Lord, I will follow you even unto death. But this passage also does remind us that despite his best efforts, that that's not what Peter did. 
Secondly, this passage reminds us today that godly people do fall into sin and temptation when they don't desire to. Sadly, here in this chapter, we see Peter, a great lover, a follower of Jesus, doing exactly what he proclaimed he would not do. Look in verse 67, it says, and Seeing Peter warming himself, he was, Peter's in the courtyard, he's with the soldiers there, the Bible says he's warming himself by a fire. She looked at him and said, You also were Jesus the Nazarene. Look in verse 68, those first few words. But he denied it. He denied it. Here we see the first of Peter's three denials of Jesus. Of all the things we could talk about in this passage, the main truth we see this morning is that Peter ultimately fell into the sin that he had proclaimed he would not do. Sadly, every Christian in this room, including me, your pastor, knows moments like this. Moments when even despite our best intentions, you end up doing what you had hoped and proclaimed that you would not do. Moments when despite your best efforts to please God, you end up doing something that you know grieves the heart of God. And we end up doing what we talked about earlier in Romans chapter 7 with the apostle Paul talked about. I do the things that I don't want to do. In 1 John chapter 1, 8, a book written to Christians. It reminds us of the fact that Christians, we will still struggle with sin. It says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're ever in a counseling situation with somebody and they say, well, man, tell me about any sin in your life. And they're like, hey, man, I'm good. I don't struggle with that at all. You can be assured that they're lying. Even whether they know it or not, the Bible affirms that the wandering sinful flesh of even the greatest followers of Jesus is a reality over and over again. Here we see Peter denied Christ. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can put my hand in his side. And Paul would go on to call himself the chief of all sinners. Another hymn that is famous in the church was written in 1758. It's called Come Thou Fount. And it's still sung regularly inside of the church. And one of the reasons why is because the message of it still rings true to us sinful, needy people today. This is what the third verse says. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Anybody say amen to that this morning? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Church family, there is such a thing as freedom from sin and struggles in our lives. And Jesus can help us in that. But at the same time, we've got to recognize that while in this life we can never be sinless, through the power of the Holy Spirit and discipleship, we can begin to sin less. But the picture reminds us here is that no matter where we are, no matter what place we are with Jesus, all of us as believers are still susceptible to sin. So the first thing we see this morning from this passage is that when God's people fall, it is rarely something that we prefer to do, but we still do it anyway. Our second truth to notice in this text is that when God's people fall, it is often something that we can be, can be perceived. It is something that can be seen. You know, the story of the Apostle Peter falling into sin in this passage by, by denying Jesus serves not only to show us that Christians can fall, 
but it also can help show us how people fall into sin, what it looks like when we do. I want to give you six truths this morning from this, pa- uh, from this passage about falling into sin. And my hope is this morning is that these truths can help divert us away from falling into sin and temptation ourselves. First, this passage reminds us that before God's people fall into sin, God usually warns us in some way. You know, this, the Bible says here in verse 30, that as Jesus looks at Peter says today, before the rooster crows on the third, on the second time, you will have denied me three times. And again, Peter says, no, that's not true. That's not the case. But Jesus gave him a warning here. Now, regardless of the fact in the foresight of Jesus, who already knew Peter was going to sin, the truth is, is that for Peter, this should have served as a warning to him. He should have had his antennas up here. Man, my master has told me that I may sin. It was a warning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we see that God promises Christians that He will warn us about sin and temptation and He will provide a way of escape. The Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. And this is where I believe He said faithful. God is going to speak. He's going to make it aware in our hearts and lives in some way. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Again, there's an idea of God warning him. Before you step off into that cliff, I'm going to show you an escape route. Church family, though we may try to make excuses for ourselves and others, the truth according to God is that when we fall into sin, it is of no fault of anyone else except our own. But God is faithful to speak to his children in the middle of that through the voice of the Holy Spirit, to provide a way of escape, to say, no, that is not good. The only question is, is whether or not we are looking and listening for his direction. Secondly, this passage shows us that sometimes God's people fall because they're overly confident about their ability to avoid sin. This passage shows us that even though Jesus warned Peter about his upcoming temptation, that Peter would not listen to Jesus' words, but arrogantly proclaimed that he would never fall in that way. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, And Peter kept insistently saying, "If I, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. J- Peter is arguing with Jesus here. He said, I mean, you say one thing to me, but I'm telling you, you are wrong. Friends, don't ever argue with Jesus. The Bible makes it gl- very clear that our sinful flesh is something that cannot be trusted and that we should never think that any sin is beyond our ability to fall into. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Church family, this is very important. When it comes to sin and temptation, the moment we begin to arrogantly look down our nose towards other people and arrogantly say and proclaim that I could never fall in such a way is when the enemy has already gained ground in our heart and life. Now hear me this morning, taking sin, not taking sin lightly and not being overly confident towards sin does not mean that we're supposed to walk around in fear, to be afraid that I'm going to mess up, to be afraid that, that you know, one day I'm going to lose my reputation for the gospel, to be afraid that one day I'm going to do something to compromise my marriage. That's not what God calls us to do, is to walk in fear. Walking in fear is not being humble. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter speaks about how to have the right attitude towards sin and temptation. It's another passage worth memorizing. It says, Be sober of spirit, be on alert, 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's a lot we can see here in this passage, but the first thing you need to recognize here is he mentions your adversary, the devil. Church family, this is the, the, the devil is not some inanimate force as far as in the spiritual world. He's not staying in his area and you stay in your area. The devil is your adversary. He is looking for a way to bring Christian people and godly people down to his level into sin and brokenness. The devil hates your guts. You say, oh man, that means I should walk around afraid. No, this is what the Bible says. Be sober. Be sober means to have your eyes open. Be alert. Being sober does not mean being stressed about potential sin. And it does not mean being scared about potential sin. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You don't have to be afraid of the devil, but you just need to be sober of the fact that he's out there and he is looking for ways to tempt and thwart God's people. Being sober in the face of sin, potential sin and temptation, is similar to me when I go into the woods to go hunting. I've been around uh, firearms my entire life. And on a firearm, there is a safety. And I keep that safety on as I'm walking in the woods. I keep that safety when I go up into a tree stand. And I keep that safety on even while it is sitting in my lap. Now, here's the reality. In my mind, I cannot fathom a way that that gun sitting in my lap could, could misfire. Something could happen that could injure me while it's sitting in my lap in a tree stand in the middle of the woods where nobody's around. I honestly can't think of a way that it could happen. But I still keep that safety on simply because I know that's the safest way to manage a firearm. Church family, not being overly confident over sin doesn't mean that you walk around fearful. It just means that you walk as safely as possible. It means that you pray that prayer in Matthew chapter 6 regularly in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not in temptation, O Lord, but deliver me from evil. Thirdly, this passage reminds us that when God's people fall, their temptation to fail usually happens in a moment. Notice here in this passage, the Bible says in verse 67, that Peter goes from a moment of warming himself by the fire to suddenly being having to make the decision as to deny Christ or proclaim Christ and potentially be arrested and be sentenced to death also. Very rarely are defining moments in our life are we given advanced warning on. Now, we said before, again, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to warn you. He's going to speak to you in that moment, but you're probably not going to get a couple of days in advance here to know when it's happening. What I have found is that in those moments, life-altering, life-changing decisions usually happen in a moment. And so we need to be wary of the decisions we make. You know, we make decisions every day that can change the direction of our lives. And we make decisions every day that can change the glory of God in our lives. I remember being sobered by this several years ago when Kimberly and I first moved to Arkansas. We bought a house on six acres, and that sounds, ooh, that's awesome, but unless you saw the six acres, okay? So it was a house in the middle of a jungle. When I say a jungle, the woods in Arkansas was like the land the Lord cursed, okay? Both thorns and thistles it would put forth from you. That's what this land was. You couldn't walk through the woods. And it was filled with sweet gum trees. If you know anything about a sweet gum tree, a sweet gum tree is the most useless tree in the history of the world. You can't burn the wood. And all they do is put off those little prickly ball things that if you step on one barefooted, you talk about a test of sanctification for your soul. 
And so we were in the middle of church planning and trying to, to serve the Lord, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to exercise, and we needed to, to try to, to, to clear this land up some. And so I told Kimberly, I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to waste money on a gym membership. I'm just going to, when I come in the evenings, I'm going to try to cut a tree down every day. Now that sounded great in theory. About three weeks later, I was back at Planet Fitness where, you know, no judgment zone. You know, I was okay with that. But before that, I was, I was practicing P90X. You know, I'm going to get out there every day and cut down a tree. So anyway, I'm, there's something, though, that's pretty cool about cutting down a tree. You work on it, it takes you about 30 minutes an hour. You know, you get the system right, up, chop, chop, top, down, down, angle, and then you, you work it. But when it finally gets to that point where it starts to fall, it starts to creak, and it does that, and then it starts to fall over. When it hits the ground, boom, you hear that? And it, there's just something manly about it that you're just like, yes. I did that, you know. I had one of those moments, a big tree had just fallen, and I'd celebrated my manliness, you know, and I was catching my breath before I started to limit, and uh, the Holy Spirit spoke something in my heart. He said, Zach, how many decades do you think it took for that tree to get that tall? And I kind of responded back to the Lord, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. And the Holy Spirit said, how long did it take you to, to bring it down? What it took decades for that tree to grow, it took about 30 minutes to bring it down. Church family, we talk about sin and temptation. Your witness for Jesus can take decades to build, and in just a few minutes it can come down. Your intimacy in your marriage and the trust in your family can take decades to build, and in just a few moments it can come down. This passage should sober us about the reality of sin. Fourthly, this passage reminds us that when God's people fall, their sin tends to progress towards greater levels of severity quickly. I won't spend a lot of time here, but notice in verse 71, it says, but it's the third time that Peter uh, denies Jesus. Says, but he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man you're talking about. Now, the first time that he denied Jesus, it was kind of like he acted confused. He did the confused thing, you know. And he'll, he'll say, that they said, surely you're one of, this, uh, one of these that were following the Nazarene. He says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Then the second time, he just clearly said, no, I don't know the man. And then thirdly, he goes even further. Not only is he sinning by denying Jesus, but he's, he is blatantly, he's arrogantly, he's, he's, he, he's angrily sinning. He's cursing and swearing. You know, the Bible says, church family, that when we fall into sin and temptation, the devil doesn't just stop there. He's not after just your marriage. He's after your kids. He's not after just your job. He's after your reputation. He's not after what's going on in your family. He's after your witness in the community and all other areas. The Bible says the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Progression. Some of you are in that situation today. You are bound up in some sort of sin and stronghold that started by one small area of compromise. And now it has grown to a great oak of sin and brokenness in your life. Many pastors have said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Fifthly, this passage reminds us when God's people fail that He does reveal their sin to them. Mark chapter 14, verse 72, we see it says, Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered Jesus had remarked to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, Peter, hearing the rooster crow here, was more than just coincidence. 
This was a divinely sent chicken. (laughs) He was used by God to reveal to Peter his sinfulness and his betrayal. And the Bible promises that God will do this. In Revelation 3.19, God says, Those in whom I love... I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There are lies that are going on in the church today that following Jesus means you never feel bad about yourselves. That is a lie. The word reprove means to bring into the light. It means to reveal sin in your lives. Let me say something. That hurts. Reprove is discipline. It's the first step towards restoration. It is needed. I've been reproved by God in many ways in my life. Through the voice of the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures, through the words of others, and even once in a dream, God reproved me. One of the most memorable moments I can think about early in my life today of God reproving me that I can share about today was when I was a senior in high school. The senior high school I was going to Mortimer Jordan High School here, and it was the springtime, and I didn't have a lot going on. Football was over, and so I was getting ready to graduate, and golf tryouts were about to take place. My church family, I, I enjoy golf, but I'm not a very good golfer. But to try it for the golf team, I mean, you've got, you got a couple days free up here at the driving range, and you've got a couple rounds of golf for free uh, at what used to be Quail Ridge Country Club there. And I was like, hey, man, I, this is a win-win for me. I don't expect to make the team, but I'm going to get a few f- free days of golf, you know. And so I went, and they paired me up the first day with three little ninth-grade guys. And, and so we're, we're about midway through our round. I'm having a good time. I'm in the woods looking for my ball, which is normally where I'm at. And the same day was the same day that the Gardendale High School golf team was also trying out for their golf team. And if you know anything about this area, there's, there's a little bit of animosity, you know, in that relationship there. And, and I can hear in the woods, I look out through the woods and I see these little ninth grade guys that are, that are playing. I see them talking to some Gardendale guys on the next hole. And I, I go to the woods and I walk out and they've kind of got their, their heads hung and their, 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 their shoulders slumped a little bit. And I said, hey guys, what's wrong? And, and, uh, and those guys were making fun of them. And these were older guys. And something about that just didn't sit well in my spirit. So I took it upon myself to remedy the situation. I made my way to the next tee box where these guys were. And uh, we had a few words. And that led to I laid hands on uh, one of these guys. And, uh, and I emerged victorious. And so I was walking off the tee box right after I had just heard from these little ninth grade guys who were following me. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen, you know, and I feel like I'm about 10 foot tall and bulletproof. One of the guys from Gardendale makes a statement to me. He says, aren't you Zach Reno? And I turned around, I am. You got a problem with that, you know? And he said, aren't you a preacher? I said, I used to be, and it was a good, fun time, and I love the Lord. Church, I was about this tall, okay? Church, that is a story I can laugh about today, but there are dozens of times in my life that I can't laugh about. When the Lord in His grace, because He loved me so much, took me like a father and spoke into my soul and reproved me, said, you owe me more than this, Zach. And he's right. Finally, this passage reminds us that when God's people fall, they experience the brokenness over their sin. In Mark 14, verse 72, we see the brokenness of Peter over his sin. It makes this statement. It's one of the saddest scriptures in the New Testament. It says, and he began to weep. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they they had a word that really takes it even further. It says bitterly. 
Matthew and Luke says he began to weep bitterly. Peter was overcome with guilt and sadness. There's one thing that this passage should show us this morning. Reminds us that there are consequences to our sin. And there are consequences to our sin even in light of God. Not in judgment or judgment for sin. Jesus has taken that. But consequences in the fact that we have been reproved by our Father. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We don't like to talk about these things in church because we want people to feel loved by God and welcoming into His mercy. And hear me this morning, by the mercy of Christ in the Scripture, that is absolutely true. But that's only part truth. God loves us enough today not only to forgive us for our sins and walk with us through brokenness, but He also loves us enough to give us the truth of His Word and examples like Peter weeping bitterly as a message from heaven saying to us, run from sin and brokenness and follow me. There are tears of joy in the presence of God that I wouldn't trade anything in the world for. But there are tears of brokenness and bitterness and shame that I would gladly spare myself and you this morning and our children for. Some of you are in the middle of brokenness of sin today and God wants to meet you there. But you cannot meet Him by not acknowledging your sin. So I beg you today, hear His voice. Allow your hearts to weep bitterly, grieving the fact that you have injured the heart of God and then He can restore you. And then our final truth this morning, what we've seen thus far in this text today is we've seen a picture of a great servant of God falling into severity of sin. My hope today is that we would leave more sober and watchful However, as we close, I want to give you, I want you to turn very briefly over to Mark chapter 16. And I want to give you one final truth today that we all need to hear this morning as we attempt to to avoid sin and honor God. Now, Mark chapter 16, very briefly here, I asked our instrumentalist to go ahead and begin to to come and play softly here. But as they they come, this this is what's going on in Mark chapter 16. Jesus has already died. He's been crucified. He's been laid in a tomb. He's been there for Over two days, and we pick up in Mark chapter 16, early on the third day on Sunday morning. And the ladies have come early to the tomb to anoint his body because they were not able to because they were in such a rush to put him in the tomb on the day that he died before the Sabbath. Now pick up with me verse 2. Now very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the tomb, the stone, had already been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, this is an angel, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen he is not here let's give the lord jesus a big hand praise him that he's alive today behold here's the place where they've laid him and then you get to verse seven and this is the reason why the angel was there in the first place the word the word in the greek for angel is angelos it means messenger angels don't speak of their own accord they're just postal carriers they're there to bring you what god told them to say this angel had been sent by jesus and this is what he says but go and tell the disciples and peter He is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. 
Just as you told him. Now, again, there's so much beauty in that passage. And again, when we're talking about Easter Sunday, man, and by far the, 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 the greatest message you need to hear in Mark 16 there is that he is not here, he is risen. Okay, that's the greatest truth. But something that we can very easily read past there in the excitement of the resurrection is this moment where Jesus tells the, the, tells the, the, the ladies to go and tell the disciples and Peter where I'm going. See, what's happening here is that Jesus knows that now Peter, in the grief of his fall, in the grief of the fact that he has basically traded in his followership of Jesus, in just one moment, Peter has cashed in three and a half years of following Jesus by denying him. But in the grace and mercy of God, Jesus has a different picture. And so if he had just said, go and tell the disciples, Peter probably doesn't show up. Peter doesn't feel like he's worthy to be a disciple anymore. He doesn't feel like he's worthy to receive the love and mercy. He's definitely not worthy of serving him anymore. So so Jesus gives the angel a message that he couldn't miss. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter, come and find me. What he's saying to him is that, Peter, you may have given up on me, but I haven't given up on you. Our last truth this morning is that when God's people fall... God in His grace pursues them. Some of you need to know that this morning. Some of you came in here this morning and you have ran from God in the past. Or you're running from God presently. And you still, in your heart of hearts, you still feel like that God hasn't forgiven you. You still feel like that you're still batting from the the last in the order. That you're not worthy to follow the Lord. But I want to tell you over and over again in the Bible, we see God pursuing those who have fallen. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. I love how he did it with Jonah. He told him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah went the total opposite direction of Nineveh. And after God let him spend a few nights in the the, the worst fish market in the history of the world, spit him up on the shore, and the Bible says he came to him a second time saying, Jonah, go. And he he gave him a second chance because God is a God of second chances. This some of some of you this morning, you need to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you have ran. It doesn't matter what you've said. And it doesn't even matter in the heart of God how many people you have hurt along the way. Jesus is still calling your name. He can still forgive. He can still draw you close. He can even walk with you through the consequences of your failure. All you have to do is admit your sin and run to Him. Let's give the Lord Jesus a big hand this morning. I was praying to get ready to come over here today and asking the Lord how to close this message. The Lord reminded me of a story. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son who goes to his father and says, Father, I want the inheritance that you owe me. The father's not dead yet. It's basically the most insulting thing you could have done. I want your money. I don't want your presence. He takes it. He spends it all. The Bible says on loose living, prostitutes, and all kind of drunkenness, all kind of things. Finally, he hits rock bottom. The Bible says that he is having to hire himself out to the people of that country. And he's feeding pigs. And he's so hungry, what, what he's feeding the pigs looks good to him. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. He says, are not my father's servants eat better than this? He said, I'll go back to my father and I'll say I'm not worthy to be your son if you could just make me a servant. 
he, he's not trying to come back where he was. He's saying, if I could just work in your house, I won't even be your son anymore. So he starts to make his way home. And the Bible says that when his father saw him coming afar off, it's a picture of the father waiting and watching for he who has run. Some of you this morning, you need to know that if you ran from God, God's still watching for you. And he's still inviting you to come. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning. But I want you to know here today that if you look backwards in your life to moments in time where you were close to Jesus and not presently, that's not where God wants you to be. He is waiting for you to come home. Maybe you need to repent of some sin this morning. Again, you can't get there. There's no shortcuts in repentance. Call out your sin to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then let him call your name. Say, come home. Some of you this morning, you just don't know him. And that's really what it comes down to. You've lived your life for the kingdom of you, your entire life. And you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today, you know the emptiness of your life. And you know that you need him. This morning, he's calling you. Come. Call out to him. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. And I ask you, save me, Lord Jesus. I give my life to you. And he can save you right there where you are and change your life forever. Church family, the worst thing we could do today is leave here the same way we walked in. This morning, what is God speaking to you? He may be warning some of you about some sin, some things that are coming up in your life, things you're getting close to, and He's calling you to start looking for that way of escape. Our pastors are going to be up front. If you need somebody to pray for you, you feel free to come forward. If you need to give your life to Jesus, Call out to him right there at your seat. Come forward. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you need to join this church, whatever God's laid on your heart to do, take these next few moments to go meet with God. Let him call your name. Would you stand? Our ministers are going to come. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, as Brother Ken comes to lead us in this song, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, would you speak and draw people to yourself in these next few moments? In Jesus' name, amen.